Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, is our market trade already in holiday mode? That is uh, one thing that we are going to definitely discuss here on today's Market Talk. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Appreciate you making us part of your conversation here today. As uh, looking at a, a fairly quiet trade, kind of a mixed bag, and really it feels uh, like the holiday trade is setting in here. And that's typically what happens when you get to the middle of the month of December. We're going to talk about what that could mean for this market. Could it increase the volatility with low volume in the trade? No doubt we're going to talk about some of the uh, headlines of the week here in the markets. Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge will be joining us for market analysis here on today's program. And it's been a few weeks since we've talked with Ted. So looking forward to picking his brain about some of the movement in these markets as we near the end of the year. Ted will join us coming up in segment two and three today and provide his perspective on what's going on in this market trade. So looking forward to that. First up, though, let's kick off the show a little bit of market perspective from Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. Arlen joined us around midday on Friday as the markets were kind of quiet. It already feels like we're in a little bit of the holiday malaise, so to speak. We talk about that with Arlen Suderman, starting with his perspective on just the overall tone of the markets across the board, grains, livestock, stocks, etc. As we head to the weekend, here's Arlen Suderman. Yeah, we had a lot of euphoria midweek following the Fed meeting and when the market interpreted the statement from the Fed as an indication that we're going to be seeing rate cuts very soon and that all is going to be well in the world. So the it was risk on with money flowing into the equities, flowing into the commodities. But today it's kind of like a little bit of sobering reality after the New York Fed president uh, stepped to the microphone and said, not so fast. We're not to that point yet. Nobody's talking about rate cuts yet. I think it's premature to be thinking about those rate cuts. We're still trying to see if the current policy is going to bring inflation down to the 2% level. So heading into the weekend now, it's kind of, okay, let's kind of consolidate things. That means an easing of that uh, positive money flow, the stocks and commodities both just kind of chopping sideways in relatively quiet trade today. And I know, too, as we head to the weekend, uh, the soybean market, especially uh, kind of quiet here today. Uh, really, a lot of these grain markets just lacking a lot of fundamental news, and especially with soybeans, really lacking a lot of uh, a lot of evidence uh, that you know the weather problems in Brazil, et cetera. It's just kind of a, a quiet grain trade today. 
It, it really is. We need more information. We saw the big spike in wheat prices recently because of China coming in and making big purchases. That's already been factored into the market. That's done. We priced ourselves back out of the market. Now we need new business to justify any type of sustained movement. Um, as we did get a very favorable ruling from the White House uh, this morning. They indicate that they're going to support a methodology for uh, assessing environmental impact on corn-based ethanol that will be favorable for ethanol to be used as a feedstock for um, a sustainable aviation fuel. But that's a long-term issue that will help the, the domestic demand long-term. That'll also help demand for soy oil and canola oil as well. That's not something immediate to impact the market. So while there are supportive things out there, a lot of that's been priced in. A lot of it's in the distant future. So we're just marking time and slipping into that quiet holiday malaise. And great stuff there. Once again, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for Midday Commentary on Friday. Well, U.S. farming is still primarily a family business. The USDA's Economic Research Service releasing a report titled America's Farms and Ranches at a Glance 2023 edition. Catherine Lacey, an ERS economist and co-author of the report, says the overwhelming majority of U.S. farms are still family operations. A majority of farms are considered small family farms, but these farms only account for 19% of the value of production. On the other hand, 3% of farms are large-scale family farms, accounting for 25% of agricultural land operated and 52% of the value of production. Small family farms made up 88% of the total farm count. Overall, the study found that 97% of all U.S. farms were family farms that accounted for 90% of farm production in 2022. She talks about commodity specialization. We can see large-scale family farms dominate the production of most commodities, including beef, hogs, cash grains and soybeans, cotton, dairy, and specialty crops. In the remaining commodities, poultry and eggs, and hay, small family farms and mid-sized family farms dominate the production. The value of production for non-family farms was less than 20% for all commodities. If you compare this report to last year's edition, you will notice the value of hog production and specialty crop production increased for large-scale family farms and decreased for non-family farms. However, the value of production shares in 2022 was similar to the shares seen in 2019 and 2020. Lacey talks about the financial health and risks of America's farms. Most small family farms have an operating profit margin in the high-risk zone. Generally, we see the share of farms in the high-risk zone decrease as farm size increases. The majority of mid-size and large-scale family farms are in the medium-risk zone or low-risk zone. Finally, in terms of financial risk, non-family farms are more similar to small family farms than large-scale family farms. About 20% of all U.S. farms held any debt in 2022, and 67% of farms carrying debt used one lender. ERS also looked at farm income. In general, farm households are not considered low income. Only retirement farms and low sales farms had median income below U.S. household median income. Median farm household income greatly increases as farm size increases, with very large farms having a median household income of approximately $1.4 million. Well, once again, that is one of the authors of the report, Catherine Lacey from the Economic Research Service. The American Farm Bureau Federation also weighing in on the 2023 Farms and Ranches at a Glance report from USDA's Economic Research Service. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Betty Resnick says the report underscores the financial conditions for U.S. farms. It puts high-risk farms as those operating at under a 10% profit margin 
and low-risk farms operate above a 25% profit margin. It's important to note that every category of farms has at least a quarter of farms classified in that category as high risk, which is why the farm safety net provided by the Farm Bill is so critical to keeping our country's farms in business during volatile times. In addition, this survey does classify farms into small farms, mid-sized, large, and classifies them by both family-owned and non-family-owned. Once again, that's Betty Resnick from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, that is a look at a few news headlines here on the show. We'll have more news headlines coming up later in the program, including the announcement by the U.S. Treasury Department on Friday that they will be adopting and using the GREET model as one of their methodologies in terms of uh, figuring out sustainable aviation fuel tax credits. I know a lot of folks in the ag and ethanol industry supporting that news and happy about that news on Friday. So we'll look at that a little more in depth coming up at the end of the show today. It might be a topic as well that we bring up with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. He is our guest analyst, and he will join us coming up here after the break as we recap the market trade action that we've seen here this past week. And are we kind of entering that holiday malaise time period? We'll talk about all that and more coming up next as we're back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up the week of the market trade on Friday, for the most part, things were relatively quiet in the grain and livestock trade. Maybe call it a consolidation type day as we wrapped things up and uh, got past the middle of the month of December, technically on the 15th. Well, are we entering into the holiday trading period already? Is it just getting quiet in these markets? That's one of the things that we want to talk about today as we wrap up the week in the markets with Ted Seifried from Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, always good to catch up with you, buddy. It's been a little while. I know you've been busy with the holidays and traveling and seeing family and all that fun stuff. So glad we could uh, make some time to get back together here on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, man, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. You know, I always like to do the show. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, uh, I'll start with the obvious question that I kind of uh, alluded to there at the open. Uh, it feels like we're kind of entering that holiday malaise across the trade, grains, livestock. We've had plenty of news here this past week, but largely it just feels like a lot of folks are uh, are packing it in for the Christmas and New Year's holiday already, Ted. Yeah, Jesse, it's definitely felt that way towards the end of the week. Uh, I think the beginning of the week wasn't so much that way. Uh, we certainly had a lot of fireworks on, on Monday morning with uh, with soybeans, you know, up 32 cents, <clears throat> although we've given back really all those gains uh, here the rest of the week. Um, you know, so, I mean, we're still watching South American weather, but really, you know, Brazilian weather that pertains to soybeans. Uh, you really don't have anything in, in Argentina to talk about. And for that Brazilian second season corn crop, at some point, I think I do start to worry about that a little bit uh, because you, you're talking about replanting soybeans in Mato Grosso right now. Um, and, and, you know, a news story out on Reuters about Brazilian farmers having a hard time uh, sourcing, you know, uh, beans, bean seeds uh, to plant or to do replant. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me, that that kind of suggests that there's been a whole lot of replant happening. Um 
which spreads that crop out a bit more, which I think maybe puts it in a position to do a lot better than what some people are currently fearing, you know. Uh, but also it might push that corn crop back into the sort of danger zone a little bit. Uh, so ultimately, I, w I really wouldn't be surprised if, if Brazilian weather, one, improves, but two, if this story ends up being more of a corn story than a soybean story or, or uh, it's going to be a bit of both, I think, Jesse. But, but right now we're 100% focused on soybeans, not really thinking about it in the corn. At some point, I think we'll start thinking about that. But, you know, aside from that, you know, it's the time of year where we kind of, you know, just walk away for the rest of the, of the mm -hmm. calendar year, right? So to your point, I mean, it, it is getting kind of lower volume, kind of quiet. Um, we did have a lot of news this week, both from a uh, individual market fundamental standpoint, you know, export sales. Uh, we had, what, 1.3 million metric tons of soybeans sold this week, mm -hmm. um, mostly to China and unknown, you know. Uh, <laughs> we had export sales, which I think were a bit polarizing earlier in the week as well, uh, mm -hmm. the weekly numbers, um, you know, and then the Fed decision and the, the big move that we had in the dollar, you know, stock markets making new all-time highs, uh, gold up $50 an ounce on Thursday, crude oil all over the place, you know, so there's a lot going on, um, but the grains in particular kind of seem anemic, you know, um, and, and I'm going to say that, you know, you have some chart setups, um, kind of polarizing as well. You know, you look at the wheat and, and we've had a nice bounce off the lows, we pulled back sure. off that kind of setting up with a little bit of a potential bull flag, uh, uh, scenario on the wheat chart right now, but then you have soybeans that continue to test, you know, key moving average support, 200 day moving average support. And each time we get there, the bounce is a little bit feebler, you know, so that is a concern, uh, both from a price action standpoint and also just a, a, you know, just a chart standpoint. So I don't know, you know, the holiday timeframes could be kind of weird, especially when you got weather markets. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit weird for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. No, I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. A, a few different news headlines. You mentioned in soybeans, um, you know, talking soybeans there. Argentina looking to devalue their peso earlier in the week. That seemed like that, that had a, a bit of a psychological impact on the market per se. Uh, I wonder your thoughts on that situation. How much of an impact could we really see that have in, in soybeans here in the short term, Ted? We, I mean, what was the Tuesday, Jesse? We were we were higher because they closed their export uh, portal uh, yeah. or registrations, right? So there yeah. was a few days there where they couldn't export. Um, and the language was, you know, uh, until further notice. So, I mean, I guess to some extent the market was worried that could ha last for a little while. Uh, I, I don't know. At the time I remember saying, you know, by, by, by Friday we'll be, they'll be back and exporting again. And they are. So yeah, that was a one day blip. But then, then the reality is when they, when they devalued the currency, but then they also pegged it to the dollar. And that's the key, Jesse, because, <clears throat> The problem with Argentina is that their currency had been kind of devaluating itself, you know, over and over and over again. So mm -hmm. Argentinian farmers wanted to hold on to physical commodities because it was their hedge against their currency inflation. But if you peg their currency to the dollar, which they've done now, um, and you have a more stable peso, the question is, do these farmers really feel like they need to hedge against inflation now? And the answer to that is probably not, very likely not. So I, I think there's a, a fair amount of wheat. 
nobody's really been talking about this with wheat. And it's because they, they've got a really not great wheat crop. Uh, but the year before, they had a good one. I think there's a fair amount of wheat in storage uh, that could come out. Um, that again, you know, they were holding these commodities, soybeans, corn, wheat, to hedge against the inflation, which again, they don't really need to do anymore because of the new plan or the new, the, the new currency, um, uh, yeah, plan, I guess. <clears throat> so uh, there can be a lot of, uh, you know, ending stocks, you know, perennial, or perennially, uh, Argentina holds what, 10 million metric tons of soybeans, generally speaking, year over year as again, an inflation hedge. They might not need that anymore. So again, these are, these are stocks that can come onto the market. In the case of soybeans, it, it likely goes to the crush and it's good timing mm -hmm. for that because of last year's soybean crop not being good at all. Uh, they could use those beans. So, you know, that alleviates some problem right there. Uh, I think that might alleviate some of the, or, or, or might take away some of our extra soybean meal exports over time. Uh, so that is a bit of a concern. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it, it's, I think, a fairly bearish thing for the market. Um, it was a little bit bullish in the short run because of that, that export registration window closing. But now that it's open again, yeah, further on down the line, I think that's, that's going to be fairly bearish. I know on Friday, the U.S. Treasury Department came out with their guidance saying they were going to adopt the GREET model as one of the methodologies in terms of figuring out the sustainable aviation fuel tax credits. I know a lot of folks in the ethanol biofuel industry, the ag industry as a whole, celebrating that news, uh, looking for, you know to use corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel, et cetera. Largely, though, the corn market just kind of looked at the news and went on about its day. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts on that news from Friday, Ted? I think long run, that is fairly bullish, right? Um, look, we need new avenues of demand for corn. Um, and this is another one, right? Because, I mean, we're going to, if we keep planting 90 plus million acres of corn, you know, we just, we don't have enough ethanol demand. We're not, we're not driving enough, Jesse. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't have enough feed demand. We we need to have more corn demand to avoid these 2 billion bushel plus carryover. So that's good news. Now, the thing is, I don't really see that having a massive impact for this marketing year, which is why I think the, the corn markets kind of shrugged that off. It's going to take some time uh, for that to really, for that demand to really develop. You know, I mean, there's infrastructure that needs to be put in place and, and things like that. So <clears throat> I think it's great. You know, I, I think it's great longer term. Uh, I'm a little worried that it cuts into some soybean oil demand, but, you know, I, I think there's room for both to really grow again over time. Right. So that, that's kind of why I think the there was just really not much of a reaction there for corn. Um, it, it's good to see guys like myself and, you know, producers. We welcome that. You know, it's, it's great. But again, it, it's not a we're not we're not taking our two point one four million uh, billion bushel carryover in corn and, and slashing that to a one point six just because of that announcement. That's not that's not the case at all. Right. But it, it will hopefully mean good things for next year and even more so for the following year and even more so for the following year. Right. So it's a thing that that I think longer term is is a very nice thing for the corn corn market. Um, it will be a good thing for prices. I think it adds more to the floor of corn. Right. Uh, but again, it's not a this year thing, at least, you know, that's not my take on it.
Yeah, I think I tend to uh, have to agree with you. I think it's something that's going to be a, a bit of a longer-term impact in this market. Good thoughts. Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge is our guest analyst here today on the show. Ted, stick with us. Coming up after the break, when we get into segment three, I want to talk to you about the Fed news from this week. Obviously, a lot of headlines surrounding that, and uh, we're, we're going to dive in and Get thoughts on that from you in terms of how it impacts this market moving forward. We'll be back with more from Ted Seifert with Zaner Ankhedge here on Market Talk of the Way right after the break. Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System Specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge joining us here on Market Talk. Ted, I want to spend some time with you on the Fed news that we had from this week as well. And I believe it was the New York Fed chair on Friday kind of came out and said, you know, hang on a second. You know, we're not necessarily saying that, you know, we're going to have rate cuts starting early next year. It was, it was something to that effect. I think I saw that that news item come out Friday morning, but just Talk about your thoughts on, on some of the guidance that we saw from the Fed. I know there's been talk about their dot plot and, and things like that. What's your take on, on all the Fed news and where we stand near the end of the year, Ted? Well, you know, we got a profound reaction from the Fed, uh, the result of the Fed meeting, right? They left rates unchanged. That wasn't the reaction, right? That's not where the, the market reaction came from. It came from Jerome Powell's statements afterwards saying that there could be three to four rate reductions in 2024. And that is a pivot from, from kind of what they had been saying earlier. Um, it seemed a lot more of an aggressive stance as far as lowering rates. And the dollar was down sharply for two days and stocks were higher. Risk on commodities across the board, as we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the, the gold, for example, up $50 an ounce, uh, crude oil up $3 a barrel. But here's the thing, Jesse, I, you know, I get the feeling that in, in recent years, the Fed has realized that sometimes, actually a lot of times, their language works better than their actual actions. And, and I think that was really what that was all about. I, I think that they wanted to leave on race unchanged. And if they didn't change their language, that would have been fairly actually bearish for a lot of these markets. But by changing their language, that that kind of glossed over the unchanged rate and it really uh, put a lot of optimism in the markets and a lot of risk on for the markets. So I don't know, you know, I, I, they say one thing, I'm not hundred percent sure they're going to do that. In fact, personally, I don't really see more than one or two rate cuts next year. Uh, I think they have to be very careful to, with doing that. And, and yes, while we have rates at the highest level that we've had in 22 years, they're not terribly high. This, they're not like what they were in the eighties. Uh, I think they are fairly sustainable and after all of the stimulus that's been dumped into the markets via COVID, via Ukraine, via, you know, just really all the stimulus packages that we've seen, 
I think we are due or, or sort of need a, a longer period of higher rates. Now, as a consumer, as a, uh, you know, anybody that's looking to buy a house or buy a car, or, you know, anything that has anything to do with paying interest, you don't love that, right? But as an economist, right, you think that, hey, maybe this is a good thing for our country as a whole, maybe the global economy for that matter. I don't think they should be cutting rates that aggressively next year. And again, I think this is a case where they use their words to get the reaction that they wanted. I'm not 100% sure they'll use their actions in the way that they, they had said. Well, of course, you know, thinking about inflation and interest rates, et cetera. I mean, you know, you think about interest costs for farmers storing grain this fall. Uh, you think about the cost of if they're looking at land or equipment purchases or any conversation with their banker. You think about the livestock side, the impacts of just the overall economy on some of that retail demand and more. I mean, there's there's a lot that ties in with what's going on with this broader economy in terms of the ag economy, but also too, Ted, your thoughts on this? I know the ag economy is a little bit more insulated currently from the overall economy to some degree, just because there is still a decent amount of capital that's sitting out there in some farmers' bank accounts, Ted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had multiple years of really good prices. This isn't 2012 where we had one really good year <clears throat> and a lot of us didn't really have much of a crop. You know, we've had multiple years of prices at the higher end of the spectrum, not record high prices, but at, at points not far off and you know we've had fairly decent crops you know i again look that's you got to generalize generalize when you're talking about the country as a whole or you know whatever I, I know some some of us had you know disasters and i feel bad you know I, of course we all do but <clears throat> as a whole yeah we've enjoyed high prices for a long period of time uh and at the same time we had very low interest rates and so yeah Right. There was a lot of income coming in. And let's be honest, Jesse, as much as it's an unpopular thing to say, we're still sitting at some really pretty decent prices historically. Right. I mean, uh, look at March 2025 uh, corn trading five, uh, 520 plus. Hey, uh, that's really good. You know, we went through years, Jesse, where I would have guys asking me, are we ever going to see five dollars again? Mm -hmm. OK, well, I mean, obviously we did. You know, <clears throat> and then we saw six and we even saw seven and, and that's great. And that changes the mentality. You know, uh, now guys are worried, you know, uh, you know, five's not enough. And again, I mean, the climate's changed and, and yeah, with input costs having had been super high and now with interest rates and yeah, I mean, things have changed. So, you know, maybe, maybe you do wish you had six dollar corn, obviously, but you know, 520 March corn, I, I still think that's a really good opportunity because I'm really worried that we're swinging the pendulum to the other side of the spectrum, Jesse. We can and probably will go through years of, um, like we were in 2018, for example, we're overproducing. We can't find new demand. We're not getting new demand at really low prices. The function of the market's not really working, you know, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, that's kind of how this works. You know, we go from one extreme and we spend a lot of time at, at the high end of the extreme to the other extreme. And over the course of the next couple of years, really, I think the only thing that can really save us from, from something like that happening is, is multiple crop disasters again. But at some point, uh, weather's just gonna get it right. And, and mm -hmm. again, we'll be sitting at, at big carryovers. Like, like the outlook for corn's already there, right? It's just not there for soybeans yet. And I also wanna caution guys, <clears throat> you know, go back to 2013. Um, we had a really tight balance sheet in 2013 for soybeans. In fact, it was tighter in 2013-14 than it was in 12-13. Uh, 
but prices were on the decline throughout that year, partially because of the macroeconomics of everything, but also because the corn carryover jumped back up because we planted a whole bunch of corn acres. It's actually a very eerily similar situation to what we had with last year's growing season. Um, and again, with our current projected balance sheets where we have a 2 billion, 2.1 billion bushel plus carryover in corn and a, what, 240 million bushel carryover in soybeans, which is relatively tight. And soybean prices have stayed relatively strong. But that, I, my point with all of that, Jesse, is that that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can see soybean prices coming down, even with a relatively tight carryover. In fact, I think that's kind of a lot of what's going on right now with, you know, there's a lot of bulls in the market screaming about South American weather, Brazilian production coming down 10 million metric tons. And there's so many bullish factors in the market. China buying, like we said, China and unknown for 1.3 million metric tons. Is this a situation where we're throwing bullish news in the market and it's not really responding? You know, we're lower for the week after the big update that we had Monday. It's a, it's a warning sign for me, Jesse. I, I think that's a red flag and I think we all need to take note of that. Uh, and, and rather than, you know, just kind of walk away from now to the end of the calendar year, I think guys should be really looking very hard at some risk, risk, manage, risk management strategies. Um, you know, because I, I say it all the time, between, you know, the end of December and the first week of January, January, that's usually our second highest peak of the year. So if, if you get 35 to 45, and this year, I think, is, is an important time because it might be the highest peak of this marketing year. Um, I think if you get 35 to 45 to even 50% new crops sold, I think you're you're sitting pretty well, right? And you can always use really inexpensive calls to reown those if you want to. I know that's a very polarizing thing. Some analysts hate that. Some producers hate that. Others love it. Uh, I'm pretty indifferent. I, I really do think it's a, it's a very viable tool for guys that are... Uh, worried about selling because they're worried about missing out on opportunity. Well, if that's the case, hey, reown that opportunity. It's a lot cheaper to risk nine cents on a call than risk a dollar on down on flat price. So if that helps you, by all means, let's do it. Um, if you're super against it, okay, that's fine too. You're always gonna have more corn to sell. Uh, uh, same with beans, you know. So <clears throat> either way, there's a lot of different strategies. I, I think it again, don't be sleeping on it right now. And by the way, you know, for corn. The highest point that we had for a long period of time was January 1st for corn. The mm -hmm. only reason we went and beat that and only barely, it was because uh, we had not rain from April all the way into June, right? And sure. we had that big, you know, dollar and 40 cent rally in June, and then we gave it all back. And you had a very, very brief period of time to sell corn at a higher level than it was on January 1st. But again, very brief. And most guys didn't because they weren't sure if they're going to have a crop at that point. So... It's a lot easier to make marketing decisions in December if you're still paying attention. Don't just walk away. That's 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 my message here, Jesse. <laughs> I think that's a great message for us to wrap up on, Ted. If folks have questions for you and they want to talk to you about some things here, it's that time of year where I know a lot of folks could be looking at the books and thinking about their marketing plans and more. Uh, how could they get a hold of you there at Zayner Ag Hedge, Ted? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. Uh, and you can find me on the Twitter, or sorry, the X, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm at the Ted Spread. Ted, always appreciate a conversation. Thanks so much for joining me, my friend. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. You too, man. It's always a pleasure to be on. So thanks for having me, and you have a wonderful, happy holiday season as well. 
Well, again, thank you very much as well. Ted Seifert there with Zaner Aghedge joining us here on Market Talk today as we recap Friday's market trade action. Well, coming up here before we run out of time on the program today, we're going to take a look at a few news headlines. Of course, Friday's news about the U.S. Treasury Department adopting guidance that will uh, use the GREET model as one of their methodologies in determining um, sustainable aviation fuel tax credits and more. A lot of folks throughout the ag and ethanol industries are applauding that move and that news from the U.S. Treasury Department. So we're going to talk about that and take a look at a few other news headlines that we are watching in agriculture. We'll get to those stories coming up here after the break as we're back with more on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today as we continue with our program and take a look at news headlines. Well, on Friday, the U.S. Treasury Department issued guidance that they will be adopting the GREET model as one of the methodologies used to determine eligibility for the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Tax Credit. And the SAF tax credit was established under the Inflation Reduction Act. The decision by the U.S. Treasury Department has been widely anticipated by many in the ethanol biofuel industry and the ag industry, and various groups have reacted to the news uh, as of Friday. National Corn Growers Association said it's pleased that Treasury is embracing the model. Harold Woolley, NCGA president, said, quote, given that GREET was created by the U.S. government and is widely respected for its ability to measure reductions in greenhouse gas emissions from the farm to the plane, we are encouraged that Treasury will adopt some version of this model, end quote. The Renewable Fuels Association also applauding the news. Jeff Cooper, RFA president and CEO, said, quote, while there are important carbon modeling updates and details that still need to be worked out, we are cautiously optimistic that today's guidance could open the door to an enormous opportunity for America's farmers, ethanol producers, and airlines. The Biden administration is recognizing that the best way to meet ambitious SAF targets is to maximize marketplace flexibility, making use of existing low-carbon fuel assets, and stimulate innovation and competition across the entire supply chain, end quote. Now, Cooper said RFA will remain actively engaged with the Biden administration as the next steps are taken to finalize the GREET model revisions, develop additional SAF pathways, and iron out other implementation details. Also, Growth Energy issuing a statement. Their CEO, Emily Score, said, quote, in an important first step, the Biden administration has recognized the merits of using the GREET model and its guidance for eligibility in the 40B Sustainable Aviation Fuel Tax Credit. America's biofuel producers and their farm partners continue to innovate with a myriad of technologies that are further reducing the carbon intensity of low-carbon bioethanol, and we are ready to lead the aviation sector into a lower-carbon future. This guidance signals our potential ability to participate in the SAF market, end quote. Now, also, the 
News uh, got reaction from the American Coalition for Ethanol as their CEO, Brian Jennings, welcomed the decision, saying in part, quote, today's decision helps clear the runway for ethanol to jet. Treasury made the right call to enable the use of GREET to determine the carbon intensity of SAF because it is the global gold standard for calculating GHGs from transportation fuels, and GREET is the most up-to-date accurate model reflecting the best available science, including farm practices, end quote. So again, on Friday, the U.S. Treasury Department issuing guidance that they will be adopting the GREET model or a version of the GREET model as one of the methodologies used to determine eligibility for the sustainable aviation fuel tax credit. Well, Iowa Senator Republican Chuck Grassley says things must change between the Ag Committee's two leaders and the two parties if the new year is to see a new farm bill. Grassley sees more trouble ahead for farm bill efforts next year if the two sides and the chair and ranking member remain dug in on their positions. What I've observed in the last six months is resistance to, by Democrats to putting more farm in the farm bill, which basically means increase in reference pricing. And secondly, mostly an issue between Stabenow and Bozeman uh, is this issue over the, if you save money in one title, you can't spend in another title. That leads Grassley to conclude. And until those things are worked out, and I don't believe they've been worked out, uh, we aren't going to make any progress in the Senate. Grassley joined House Conservative Chip Roy of Texas in a letter to House and Senate leaders stressing the need to pass a five-year farm bill. He also wants to include a return of SNAP to its pre-pandemic levels, limiting farm payments to only actively engaged producers, reining in commodity credit corporation spending discretion, and foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. Grassley also backs a move by the House to reinstate whole milk removed from the school lunch program in 2012. The Senate has a similar bill. This whole school lunch program is built around uh, uh, forcing people to eat things that they don't want and wasting a lot of food. And uh, we ought to let people uh, drink the milk they like. Back at the Farm Bill, Grassley agrees with a push by Washington State Representative Dan Newhouse to limit states' power to regulate pesticide labels beyond EPA's rules. The senator argues only the federal government and Congress can regulate interstate commerce. Well, the National Milk Producers Federation applauded the House of Representatives for passing the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act. The act expands the variety of healthy milk options schools could choose to serve. NMPF President and CEO Jim Mulhern says, quote, expanding the milk schools could choose to serve to include 2% and whole milk is a common sense solution that will help ensure kids have access to the same healthy options they get at home, end quote. Now, the American Farm Bureau was also happy with the news. In a letter to Congress, AFB have told members that 9 out of 10 children aren't consuming enough dairy to meet their nutritional needs. The act will allow kids to get access to protein, calcium, and vitamins at important times in their development. House Ag Chair G.T. Thompson introduced the bill and said he looks forward to restoring access to these nutritious beverages in schools across the country. Well, new legal action would require the Environmental Protection Agency to immediately suspend and cancel glyphosate, the main ingredient in Monsanto's Roundup. A petition filed by the Center for Food Safety, Beyond Pesticides, and four farm worker advocacy groups say glyphosate's registration is illegal. A lawsuit filed by the same groups last year saw a federal appeals court strike down EPA's human health assessment because the agency wrongfully calculated glyphosate's cancer risk. 
The new petition calls for the cancellation and suspension of glyphosate's registration, contains more than 70 pages, and includes more than 200 scientific citations. Glyphosate is the most widely used pesticide in the world, with about 300 million pounds applied every year in the U.S., the group say EPA has declined to act despite studies, including those sponsored by Monsanto, that show glyphosate has harmful effects on the liver, kidney, and reproductive system. They also say it's a probable immune system carcinogen. Well, that is going to do it for Market Talk here today. Thanks again for joining us, making us part of your day. A great conversation with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. Uh, always do appreciate him joining the show and giving us some perspective, what he's seeing in the market trade. Be interesting to see how these markets continue to move as we get closer to Christmas. A lot of that holiday malaise seems to already be setting in. Have a great rest of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System Specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.